1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, and continuing in 17, and then 25 through 28. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is the word of our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Uh, I want to say a couple of things as I begin this sermon. Uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, my wife, who's an amazing cook, said to me, uh, what do you want for lunch tomorrow? Uh, I don't know. And she said, how about fried chicken? And I said, of course. Now, Wendy can make amazing fried chicken. She's made it many, many times. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter if it's tomorrow or if it's next Sunday. I could eat her fried chicken every week. I really could. Now, why in the world am I saying this? Because uh, this morning I'm doing uh, what cooks often do, which is uh, have a good meal, uh, prepare it, and then prepare it again. So the sermon that you're hearing today, I have preached here before, and I've preached it here before rather, rather recently, meaning about a year ago. I have all my sermons, you know, filed away, and so I know I seldom preach a sermon twice, but I just couldn't improve. As I went looking, I thought, this is a fried chicken dinner, and I just got to fry some chicken this morning, and I fried this chicken before, and it worked, and so we're going to look at it again this morning. This is a sermon to singles, so let me talk about singles for a bit. Uh, who is single? I want to clear something up. If you are in middle school and your parents have to drive you on a date, first of all, you're not dating, <laughs> and secondly, you're not single if you aren't. You don't become single, in my opinion, until you get to college. If you're in high school and you broke up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, I don't think you're single now because I don't think you were single then, and that does give you my estimation of high school dating. So when we talk about singleness, let's just clear it up. We're talking about adults, all right? So adults, people who can vote, people who can go fight for our country, uh, people who can uh, do various and sundry things, maybe that aren't even so good, I think fit in the category of singles. And what's interesting is not everyone in the room uh, has been married, but everyone in the room above 18 has been single. That's a fascinating thing. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you that the one space in life that everybody occupies, if you make it to the Marian age, is singleness. 
you are or have been single. Now, maybe you've been married a long time and you've forgotten what it is to be single, but let's talk about singleness for a bit. First of all, singleness and marriage are a gift from God. Paul writes to the Corinthians who were a troubled church with all kinds of questions, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. When Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am, this is a section uh, of the Corinthian letter on marriage and singleness. Paul is saying, I'm single. Paul's statement was unbelievably countercultural. You see, in Jewish life, to be married was esteemed as a remarkable privilege and an obligation. That one uh, who chose to be, uh, who never married, perhaps there was something wrong somewhere down the line. Marriage in Jewish life was a commandment. But Paul says, I wish all were single. Why would he say such a thing as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a member of this high-ranking group of people called the Sanhedrin at one point? Why would he say that? He would say it for the sake of the gospel. It is hard to imagine who Paul, uh, how Paul could have made his travels as a married man, isn't it? Because over the course of Paul's three journeys, he traveled 10,000 miles. So how in the world could he have done that as a married man in his day? So he writes, but each has his own gift from God. That word own, O-W-N, is significant. It means that singleness and marriage are on the same level, both of them being gifts from God. That's what Paul writes here. And you may find that to be surprising, and you may not agree. And if you don't agree, you'll have to take that up with Paul. You'll have to take it up with God. The word gift here literally means gracious gift. A gift of grace it is to be single. My favorite wedding vows, when I do weddings, end with this phrase, therefore I receive you as God's lovely gift to me. In other words, as we say our vows to one another, I view you as a gift from God to me, and I view view, uh, that God has been gracious in his giving. What Paul prevents here by his statement is something that happens on both sides of marriage and singleness. Let me address the cynic first. The cynic is the person who either has never been married and he or she looks at married people who are in love and doubts it, questions it. Looks at them and thinks, ah, that love stuff, all of that mushy-gushy, ah, no, none of that is for me. I don't believe it. And so they become a cynic. They mock romance. And to that single person who does that, God says marriage is a gracious gift. 
But then there are those other group of people called parents. All right, so parents, parents who want to be grandparents. All right, so you know who you are and you can't wait for the day to hold your grandchild. And so what do you do is you imagine your daughter married and so you try to find every guy, you know, any guy. At some point, it's just marry somebody. And for you, uh, you think that your daughter is in a holding pattern until she's married. That your son is somehow in this uh, not yet stage because he is not yet married. To you, I say no. Uh, Paul says singleness is a gift from God, a gracious gift from him. In this sermon, I'll talk about some singles in our church. I think when I think of this, of Diane Brooks, Diane, who never married, who went to seminary at Southwestern Seminary, who came home and became a chaplain with hospice. Many of you, if you have been through the difficulty of a, uh, a loved one who is uh, struggling, have had uh, Diane come into your home or into your loved one's home and comfort you as you stood beside the bed of a loved one dying with cancer. Diane just retired a few uh, weeks ago, a couple months ago, serving the Lord faithfully for years as a single woman. I think of a gentleman in our church, maybe the quietest guy in our church. He serves on the security team. He he is a scripture reader. His name is Tony West. Uh, Tony is just an unassuming, quiet man. Single. Both his parents lived into their 90s. Both of them passed away within the last 12 months. Tony, primary caregiver, faithful. He is one of the most ardent encouragers of our staff here. He loves us deeply as a staff. I think of Leslie Hester. Leslie is sitting in this service. In all my years, I must say, I don't think I've met a more faithful single woman than Leslie Hester. Her faithfulness is not the fact that she serves in preschool, which I think there's a second level of heaven for preschool workers. Uh, If not, I, I would petition for it. But she serves uh, on Sundays and through the week leading our preschool ministry part-time. And she also teaches at high school. So to work in high school and preschool all at once, I don't know how you do it, but she does. But what I love about Leslie Hester most is how she loves Jesus. How in her, are you 40? She was like, yes. And she... In her 40 years, she is as faithful today as she was when she was 20. It's amazing. I watch you, Leslie. I observe you. Wendy and I talk about you. We love your faithfulness to the Lord. No, she's not in a holding pattern. 
Not at all. She faithfully loves and serves the Lord. I would ask, do you view singleness that way? Whether you're married or whether you're single. I finally want to speak to people who are single again. There are those of you in our church who were once married and for reasons that you uh, contributed uh, uh, not to, you're not. I love how you, I won't call your name, I love how you serve the Lord in the aftermath of a difficult divorce. I love how you serve the Lord and raise children and help them to see that life will not always be as you anticipated, but God never changes, amen? You inspire and you encourage us. Singleness and marriage are a gift from God. Uh, But Paul reminds us, secondly, that singleness and marriage are hard. Anybody want to say amen? Some of you said that too loud. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul, again, encourages singleness, but he says, if you cannot exercise self-control, get married. This will sound a bit straightforward. I'm simply deducing from Paul's words, singleness is hard because singles want to have sex. That's what Paul is saying. If you burn with passion, get married. Your sexual desires are real. Parents, your teenage sons and daughters have a sexual drive given to them by God. They have a God-given desire to have sex. And that makes being single and Christian hard. Singles, you must admit this. It's okay to own the difficulty of the space in life that you inhabit. I found in church life that Christian singles have two broad responses to this. The first is, I want to have sex, therefore I will. Isn't everybody? And so I'll do what I want to do. And it's not the worst thing I could be doing after all. Just watch the news. Way worse things are happening. Uh, The second view is that some Christians view sex as bad, as taboo. It's as if they think uh, that if they think enough vile thoughts about sex, uh, then as a single person, they'll want to stop having it. And so in their singleness, they become jaded in their view and God's view of sex. Three principles as singles to live by. Number one, singles must have clear boundaries when it comes to sex. There must be defining conversations early in relationships. If you're going to avoid the pitfall of sex outside of marriage. Number two, singles must have accountability. Uh, You will struggle alone. You will do better, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, together. And number three, I've said this for years, 
is the third principle. The bachelor and the bachelorette are stupid. That's the third principle. And sadly, they need to be said with number one and number two. Why is that? Because shows like that present love as lust and lust as love. They present an idea that experimentation will somehow lead to relationships. It doesn't at all. Do you know I've done a lot of premarital counseling through the years? And we go through our history. Couples do. We're not going to walk down the aisle unless people know where each other's been and what each other's done. That can be difficult. Do you know that I've never met a man or woman in premarital counseling who said, I'd wish I'd had sex with more people? Before I marry you? Mm -mm. I've sat as people have cried. Squirmed. That's what I've experienced. Uh, to the married, Paul says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. When Margaret read that, I heard chuckles through the congregation. All right, this is a time for a hearty amen. Marriage is hard, amen? It is. Marriage is hard because life is hard. Oftentimes, there is a misunderstanding that marriage will fix all your problems. <laughs> no, not at all. Marriage reveals them. It doesn't fix them. It unearths them. Marriage is like a white light. Have you ever shined a white light in a dark space, and all of a sudden you see what you've never seen before? That's what marriage is. Marriage doesn't conceal. It reveals Marriage doesn't cover, it exposes. That's what marriage does. That's why at Grace, before we do a wedding, we, we will begin the process of premarital counseling so that in that time, what's exposed or what's covered gets exposed, what's concealed gets revealed so that the secrets are, are less Marriage does that, it exposes. I grew up in the backwoods of Tennessee, way back in the backwoods of Tennessee. I tell people, uh, I met someone recently and told him uh, I was from Tennessee, and he said, where? And I said, Irwin, and he said, yeah, and I said, but, but Irwin, as small as it is, is, is not a good descriptor. Uh, I grew up on Spivey Mountain. It was a curvy road that had claimed a lot of cars through the years, no guardrails. 
curves so steep and deep that you would almost meet yourself, you know, going around those curves. That's where I grew up. I remember my dad talking about the wear and tear Spivey Mountain put on tires. I still remember that as a kid. Uh, Not every tire could handle it. Some tires, if they were cheaper because you're going around and around as you are on those curves and taking them, uh, they begin to wear differently. Marriage is like Spivey Mountain. It reveals what kind of tread you got on your marriage tires, doesn't it? It exposes what is there already. And sometimes the first few weeks or months of marriage are the hardest for that reason. Singleness and marriage are both hard. But third, singleness and marriage are an assignment from God. If life is a classroom for the Christian, God is the teacher. And as our teacher, he's free to give us assignments, isn't he? Look at verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In other words, if when God saves you, you are married, do marriage well. If when he saves you, you are single, do singleness well. How then Do you do singleness well? Wendy and I have a new adventure in our lives. It's a group of young adults that we lead in a life group. Young men, young women on Thursday nights. It's grown to about 18. An amazing crew of young people. Uh, We will um, do some food. We've learned that most of them don't know how to do that really well. And so when we sign up for things, you never know what's going to show up. But we love, though we're young into this life group, we've met three times. We love this crew of people. She and I can't wait for them to come um, and gather every single week. Uh, The first night we met, a young missionary came and presented. That night, there were 14 uh, young adults present, 18 to 30-ish in age. This young missionary presented her mission, where God had called her, what he had called her to do, how she had come to it. She herself is a young adult. And that night, first night we'd ever met, I said to that crew in, in that circle, I'm going to give you a little yellow piece of paper. I want you to write down on it how you can give over the next 16 months. That's the giving phase for this work. They did. We collected those little yellow pieces of paper And that group of 18 to 30-year-olds committed to give over $14,000 to that work. 14 of them. 
18 to 30 years old. That's how you do singleness, amen? That's your church. This is the newer generation of Grace Community Church. If you're here and you've been here for 20 plus years, you ought to be jumping up and down right now at that level of commitment among those younger folks in our church. It's amazing. I sat there blown away by this group of young people. Paul says, now concerning the betrothed, the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. There was difficulty there. There was conflict. There were things going on both in the church and in the world in Paul's day. Are you bound to a wife? He doesn't mean that negatively. Incidentally, we would interpret that to be negative. He means are you committed? Are you committed to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek one. Betrothed can either mean virgins, never married, or engaged, never married, but engaged to be married. Either way, it refers to singles. And Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, meaning there's some space here. This is a judgment call. He never clarifies the present distress, although later in chapter 11, he says, many are weak and sick and some have died. Maybe there was an illness moving through, a pandemic or an epidemic, who knows? But Paul clearly prefers singleness for ministry purposes. I'm not Paul by a long shot, but I too want to offer counsel. If you're married, don't divorce. Remove the word from your vocabulary. Decide today that whatever comes your way, Divorce is not your first go-to, and it's not your second, and it's not your third. Every week I meet with couples. I counsel them. That's what I spend my Sunday afternoon doing. One after another after another, I have counseling appointments every Sunday afternoon. Do you know who they're with right now? Young couples married less than 10 years, duking it out for the survival of their marriage, for the thriving of their marriage. Satan knows he will win if he comes after marriages. He knows he will win if he can somehow take a mom and dad of a young child and rip that family apart. He will go after that young son or daughter. It is absolutely critical that you say as a husband and a wife, whatever comes our way, we will not pursue divorce as As an option, we will stay married with God's help. Amen, church? All right, that should be stronger. And I'm not angry. I'm just saying that should be stronger. We must as a church, we must as a people say divorce is a final and last option. Amen, church? That's much better. 
I want to say something here, and I want to make it clear. It is real easy for churches like ours who are conservative theologically to harp on or preach on, as we should, homosexuality and leave divorce somewhere down the road somewhere. Both are sin. Both are not God's plan. Both are to be avoided. Both are not to be pursued. We must be biblical and we must be balanced. And if you're sitting in here this morning and you say, I'm divorced and I feel awful about what you've said, I've talked to many of you who are divorced. We have divorced people in our leadership at this church. You know, you know if you know me, I'm not after you. You know that. I'm talking about a society that along about 1960 said, Divorce doesn't matter. And states that ratified no-fault divorce that made it so easy to divorce that all of a sudden marriage doesn't matter. And the church doesn't seem to get upset about that until there's a whole nother sector of people involved. And that's hypocritical. That wasn't in my notes. Life has seasons. Singles, seasons of singleness and seasons of marriage. This sermon is intended to address singleness and I want to close specifically by doing that. I offer to you singles in the room whom I love and have great respect for some maxims. If you're single, don't leave your life waiting to be married. It is better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want. So don't live your life waiting. No. Like the singles circled up a few Thursday nights ago. Live now. Live now. If you're young and single... I might just end up making everybody mad today. Get a job, pay your bills, and be responsible. Grow up. Grow up. Don't live off your mom or your dad. Grow up. Do what you can do for yourself. If you're single, don't exist now thinking real living will come later. You Matter now. Grow where you are planted. I look out and I see Rebecca Webb. It's good to have you this morning from Tennessee. I've had the privilege of traveling with Rebecca to Ecuador. And she and I both serve as interpreters on those teams. She's way better than I am and there's no false humility in that. She's way better than I am. What I love about her is this humble, she's a school teacher, this humble servant heart. If you're single, don't wait for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Become Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Be the person you want your future spouse to be. Finally, if you're single, don't do life alone. You were created for community. 
as God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit live in union with one another, you too were created to live in union with others. Join a life group for what you can offer, not what you need. All right, so I love you single people. I love you. But needy singles, I just want to bang my head on the pulpit. Why? Needy singles are never satisfied anywhere with anything. Bang head on pulpit. No, no. If you if you got to find a life group because they check off this box, this box, and that box, as soon as you join it, one of those boxes won't be checked. Why? Because you can't check that box off. No. No, quit shopping, quit looking. No, you join for what you can give, not what you can receive. As a matter of fact, if you join any life group, that's how you ought to join it. Not, oh, I'm going and I hope they can do this and do that. No, 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 no. You go saying, I I think, God, I can bring this to the table. Lord, I think this is what I have, what I have to offer. When I grew up and my dad would get carried away preaching, that I'd hear people say, well, he's gone to meddling. You know, he quit preaching. I hope I haven't. I hope I haven't. I really hope this takes root in you.